Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured, that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. Today, we continue our look back at National Lutheran Schools Week. Good afternoon, morning, uh, depending on your uh, time zone. Uh, welcome back to our uh, Wittenberg Academy National Lutheran Schools Week. Uh, we are thrilled to have today on this day that the church gives thanks for uh, St. John Chrysostom or Chrysostom, uh, as is verily uh, pronounced. I'm, I'm sure Pastor Whedon can correct us on, on my pronunciation. Uh, but on this day that uh, the, ch the church gives thanks uh, for this pastor, uh, we have the privilege of being joined by Pastor William Whedon. Uh, just by way of reminder, uh, the theme for our uh, National Lutheran Schools Week uh, this year is In All Things, and that comes from Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I'm not going to read that whole thing uh, again today, but I encourage you to look that up and uh, maybe commit it to memory. Uh, it's a great uh, chunk of verses there uh, in that regard. Uh, Pastor Whedon uh, serves St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Uh, he serves as host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, uh, which if you've never checked that out, please do. It is fantastic um, and, and will certainly uh, be a blessing to you. And he is the author of several books, uh, one of my favorites being Celebrating the Saints, um, I, I'm not paid to uh, give a promotion <laughs> of this book, uh, but certainly uh, would commend this book to you. Uh, it certainly has been a, a blessing for our family. So without further ado, uh, I, I welcome uh, Pastor Whedon, and uh, the floor is yours. Wow, thank you so much. It really is a joy to be with you guys today, especially because it's St. John Chrysostom, Chrysostom, I don't care, his day, which is a great, great, great uh, day to remember one of the Lord's greatest saints across the centuries, um, and my favorite of the church fathers. Um, I was tasked with the question about why? why, why does the church bother to remember the saints? And I would like to suggest something that might sound kind of weird, but think about it. The church remembers the saints because the church is a communion of love. 
and love remembers. Think about the people that you've known in your life who have already died, but whom you really, really loved. Isn't it true that you just can't sort of, well, they're dead. I'm going to erase them from my memory. You would like, no, no way. I, I think of, of, of one particular saint in my life, my, uh, my, my mother-in-law of all things. She and I were really, really, really good buddies. Um, in fact, I was closer friends with my mother-in-law than I was with my wife at the time I started dating my wife. Uh, my mother-in-law and I would stay up all hours of the night talking about theology. We love to talk about Jesus. But as we, uh, as, as we talked, we, we grew closer and closer in the Lord. And then, then she up and died. The Lord took her. And, and, and it was so sad. It was so sad for us. But I don't think a day goes by where I can't stop and remember, because love remembers, my, my dear mother-in-law, Joe. And uh, my wife and I sometimes take her name in vain because my wife is like a carbon copy of her. Um, and, and she has all the same sort of eccentricities. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun that way. But remembering because we love, that's the key. Now stop and think about it and the difference between our memory and God's. Do you remember when Jesus got into the big squabble with the Sadducees? They, they thought they'd trip him up. They basically throw the story of Tobit at him with a little twist. Um, and, and the point is, a woman marries a guy, and the guy dies, and she marries his brother, and he dies, and she marries his brother, and he dies. Seven brothers, they all, they all die. And they're like, okay, big guy, so in the resurrection, who gets to claim her as a wife? And Jesus tells them, you know, you, you really are, because you do not know either the power of God or the sacred scriptures. And then he begins by coming back. He's like, first of all, your idea about the resurrection is wrong. It's not going to be like a time of marriage. It's not like earth continued. Um, so marriage, it's not, like, it's not like the relationships of marriage end, but they are transformed and transcended so that you, what remains is the brother and sister together in Christ and both as bride of Christ. But then he goes on to talk about you're wrong because if you know the passage about the burning bush, you remember God said, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And then Jesus says, well, he's not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living and all live to him. That is, if God remembers you, you're alive. You're alive forevermore as God remembers you. So think about how important that is and, and how, how important it is on the day of judgment that Christ doesn't look at us and say, I, I never knew you. <laughs> you don't want that to happen. That's like, no, 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 no. We want to be remembered by the Lord. And, and, and that's, that's why the church as a communion of love continually remembers these saints who have been gathered into the Lord. Um, I, I think that if you think about Proverbs uh, 10 verse 7, you also get a little bit of um, motivation to remember them. It, it, that passage reads, the memory of the righteous is a blessing. In other words, you're going to be blessed too as you remember and think about these saints. Now, my, my buddy, Pastor Heath Curtis, he pointed something out to me that I never really noticed before. And that was that the Oxford Confession starts with God and ends with saints on the articles that the, the reformers did not think they were going to have any arguments about. 
on that, that entire section, they were confident, see, we're just teaching the same old Catholic and apostolic faith, nothing new here, right? And then, then you get to, I mean, if you start with God and you end with the saints, you might say, well, wait a minute. You know, the reformers had a lot to criticize about how the saints were remembered and uh, the whole cult of saints in the medieval church, right? But I think the fact that it's included in the doctrinal articles seems to say that for Lutherans, the positive use of the cult of the saints outweighs the abuse that it had in the medieval church. It's that old saying, the abuse does not abolish, but establishes the use. So what's the proper use? If you work your way through the Augsburg Confession and its apology in Articles 21, you can see that there are really three things that we want to do with the saints. And the first thing, as we remember them, we give thanks to God for them. So the very first thing that you do with a saint is to give thanks to God for him. So today, St. John Chrysostom's Day, uh, there's so much that I personally would give thanks to God for. I'm going to just mention one that, 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 that still blows me away. Um, you had to mention on my podcast earlier, where's the format for my podcast really come from? Take a guess. It's copying how St. John Chrysostom actually expounded the scriptures. He would read the verse, and then he'd preach, and read the verse, and then he'd preach, and read the verse, and then he'd preach. And sometimes at the end, he would, you know, write a hobby horse or two, just like Martin Luther. I mean, you know, you let Martin Luther get anywhere near the topic of monks, and you're going to have a diatribe against the Pope going, going on for a little while. Same thing with John Chrysostom when it came to um, wealth. If you, you know, he, he was really dead. I mean, he, he hated how the, the court at his time just prized earthly wealth. And he tried to always lift up for his people the, the ability to see the real treasures that we have are the spiritual ones, the one God gives us through his word and through the sacraments. So um, I, I, I thank God today for St. John Chrysostom and for the way that he expounded scripture. I think when it comes to the early fathers, we probably have more of St. John Chrysostom's sermons, at least in English, um, than we do anybody else, maybe except St. Augustine. Uh, we have a lot of St. Augustine too, but he did a lot more than just sermons that we have. But St. John Chrysostom mostly is remembered for just the way he opened up the scripture and taught. He would read the word, he'd expound the word. And I do thank God for him for that. The second thing that we should remember the saints for is that remembering their stories that we would be encouraged in our walk with the Lord, encouraged by the grace shown them. And interestingly, the Lutheran confessions, when they talk about this, they don't go to the shining moments in the saints' lives. They go to the moments of failure and weakness, and they point to those. So, for example, St. Peter, we think about St. Peter and how he was forgiven his denial of Christ. Anyone who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Well, that sort of sounds like Peter's toast, right? But no, the gospel shows how Peter was restored by Jesus and forgiven. And that gives us hope as we think about the grace that shines forth in his life. So if you think about uh, St. John Chrysostom, what sort of grace uh, was shown to him? Well, he was kind of, uh, uh, like I said, a crusty old character when it came to the, the, the matter of the court. So 
At the end of his life, he ends up in exile because he criticized the empress for putting up a statue of herself. <laughs> and, and he didn't want anything to do with that. So, I mean, he could be harsh on anything that, 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 that skated near his hobby horse, like I said, just like Luther. And yet that harshness that shows up on that particular topic, it doesn't in any way vitiate all the other ways that the grace shines, shines through him. Um, and his example, you think about his example, the, the, one, the one thing that, that really stands out to me of Chrysostom's life is that having been exiled for the word of God and getting sick and sicker as he went along the way, he finally reached the point where he was, he was dying and it was manifest he was dying. And so what, you know, his last words, his last words are glory be to God for all things. He took to heart St. Paul's exhortation that we should in everything give thanks because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so he serves as a beautiful example of that for us and also an example of being willing to suffer for the sake of preaching the word, not tailoring it so that we get uh, an audience that actually appreciates what we're saying, but instead letting it all hang out there, just stating what is true and then being willing to pay for it. And that he serves as a great example for us too. Um, I also think it's worthwhile to think about how the church historically came to have this um, remembrance of the saints. And, you know, I think probably it's the first place where you get this sort of a catalog is in the book of Ecclesiasticus. If, if you don't have your handy dandy copy of the King James Bible with the Apocrypha in it, well, you need to go sell what you have and go buy th this version. It's absolutely delightful and wonderful. And there in, in, in chapter 44, we have a catalog that begins. Let us now praise famous men and our fathers that begat us. The Lord hath wrought great glory by them through his great power from the beginning. And then it goes on to basically give you a recap of the Old Testament and even the intratestamental period as it gives thanks to God for the shining witness in, uh, of, of the word of God illuminating in faith a whole pile of people. And basically what you have there is the prototype of what you get in the New Testament in Hebrews 11, where you're going to have the same sort of thing. You're going to run through the list of the saints. And in doing so, you're recounting the history of God, the story of God, the, the scriptures themselves, remembering each of these special people that God used to bring Christ to earth. Um, you know, I, 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 I always think it's an amazing thing when Jacob is, do you remember he was, he, he was kind of the mama's boy. Um, he didn't like to go hunting. He liked to cook. And so when his brother, when, when under his mother's influence, he steals his brother's birthright, he's basically driven from the home for his own safety. And you can imagine how terrifying that must have been for him that night um, when he's on his way to Padanaram, but he's at Bethel and he puts the stone under his head. I, I, I don't know. I've never understood that so that he can sleep. And, and then he has this vision. In, in, the, in the night, and he sees the stairway that reaches up to heaven, and, and he totally blows what it's all about. He thinks, oh, wow, this is a holy spot 
This is a holy place. What he misses is, no, dude, you are a holy people. You are one of the rungs of the ladder by which the one at the top of the ladder is stepping down into humanity and then placing his holiness into human flesh and blood so that all people might be holy and live in and through him. And that's something that's always worth getting, that the holiness of the saints, uh, I mean, saint means holy ones, it's never their own peculiar, um, something that they worked up. It's always the form of Christ's own holiness in their lives. There really is only one saint. You sing it every time you sing the glory in excelsis, don't you? Um, Thou only art holy. Thou only art the Lord. Thou only, O Christ. There's only one holy one. It's Jesus. But he shares his holiness with his people. And so that's what we give thanks for. Jacob, he totally missed it. He thought it was about a holy place. It's actually about him being one of the ones in the long list of those through whom the Son of God was stepping down into human flesh. Um, I wanted to to deal with how some of the uh, people at the time of the Reformation dealt with this. And and to do that, we do have to remember the things that sort of uh, the medieval church went off the rails on. So remember that uh, it was very, do you remember what happened to Luther in the thunderstorm? Do you remember, right? He, he, he cries out, St. Anne, save me, and I will straightway become a monk. He's in a time of intense terror and fear. He doesn't cry to God because he doesn't believe he's worthy to cry to God. So he turns to the saints, kind of like, you know, uh, the, the picture of the heavenly court where you got to know it's, it's who you know to get the job done. So if you really want something to work really well for you in heaven, you don't bring your own prayers to to God, you go to his friends up in heaven, to the saints, and you ask them to pray. So this was really widespread. It's actually started relatively early in the church's life, but there's not an example or a command or a promise about it in the sacred scriptures. So if a practice needs to be grounded in the sacred scriptures for us to know that it is pleasing to God, yeah, I can't claim that for the invocation of the saints. Um, what's really funny, sometimes our Roman brothers and sisters, their, their apologists, will point to what happened um, with Solomon. Remember how, uh, you know, how is the queen mother treated when, when, you know, when she enters, he has a throne prepared for her. She sits next to him and, and, and uh, she asks him to do stuff for her. And Solomon, of course, says, oh, Mom, I'm not going to deny you anything you want, right? And, uh, well, that's till he heard what she wanted. It's a horrible example for the invocation of the saints because Bathsheba did not get what she asked for. And in fact, it ended up costing um, his brother his head. So um, I, I, I think that's, that, th- there is no scripture, no scripture for it at all, this invocation of the saints. But that's only a piece. Um, there's also the, the, the way in which the church uh, had over time sort of, I, I don't know how to describe it except to say fetishized um, the remains of the saints or anything that they happened to touch. I mean, look, you, you have a life. Do you remember when Elisha dies and uh, he's buried and then the, the, the raiders were coming through and the one guy, he's slain, but he falls on Elisha's bones and up he stands again alive. I mean, the power that was still present in Elisha's bones, right? 
by the grace of God. We don't have a promise about that for other saints, nor do we have an example of anyone in the New Testament treating the saints like that um, and, and sort of collecting them. And then, of course, the church just pushed that whole relics thing. You remember all of that with uh, the Castle Church in Wittenberg, where uh, Luther started the whole thing because of the big show on All Saints and Frederick had pulled all the relics out to display and people were going through to get years off of purgatory by praying in front of these relics of the saints. Well, you know, Luther later would quit. Come on, you know, if you put all these pieces of the Holy Cross together, you'd end up having uh, a cross uh, bigger than any one you have in the New Testament by far. Um, so when it comes to the the relics of the saints, um, the, the 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 problem of of attaching spiritual power and authority to those things was very much a part of the cult of the saints. So isn't it striking then in the Augsburg Confession that when we come to the end, it doesn't even mention either of those things. It's like, we're not going to talk about the stuff that we're ready to fight about here. What we need to be clear on is what we actually do in practice. And what we practice is a remembrance of the saints in which we give thanks to God for them, and in which we also consider the grace that shines in their lives and how we may emulate their lives in a God-pleasing way. So uh, one of the best books on the Reformation you could ever pick up is Urbanus Regis's Preaching the Reformation. It's basically a book to teach pastors how not to be stupid, um, because they could sometimes say things that were just off base. And Urbanus, I mean, the actual title of the book is Speaking Carefully. <laughs> you know? So he wants, he wants the, 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 the pastors to speak carefully about um, the saints, not just to rail against the problems in the Roman church on the saints, but to teach his people, their people, a positive use of the saints. I want to just read a little bit of him, and you get a feel for it. By the way, he's one of the um, confessors at Schmuckholt. Uh, so the Schmuckholt articles, he's a signer of that. Listen, dearest friends, if any one of you is spiritual, understand what I write to you. According to scripture, we should respect the saints and speak of them with the greatest honor possible. For God himself honors them and without doubt wants them to be honored by us as well. The Septuagint translation of Psalm 71 says of Christians, their name is honorable in his sight. The father himself acknowledges them as his own children. The son calls them brothers and sisters and co-heirs. The Holy Spirit calls them his temple. Everywhere in the scriptures, therefore, the saints are set before us for consideration. Are those not saints who have fallen asleep in Christ and are with Christ? Whoever does not honor them, therefore, disparages Christ who is in them and belittles the grace of God through which they have turned out so well. I ask you, what does it say about a person's attitude toward the Holy Church if that person does not honor our fellow members who are already at peace with Christ and have been made certain of eternal salvation? Christ says the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. Certainly, therefore, our brothers and sisters, the saints, ardently desire the hastening of our repentance and salvation. And since the angels pray for us, it is very likely that the saints also pray for us. Their love for us has not diminished, but increased. That does not mean, however, that we should invoke the saints, just as we do not call upon the angels, but upon Christ, our God. 
we should nevertheless honor the saints just as the early church honored them by respectfully celebrating their memory. It gave thanks to God for setting them free, for the grace given to them, for their blessedness, and for the excellent gifts which God through the saints poured out on the church. Is it not true that God through Augustine, not to mention others, stirs up the church to comprehend the epistles of Paul when the saint seeks Christ so ardently in the scriptures and then armed with this teaching of Paul so powerfully refutes and confounds the Pelagians? Uh, remember, they thought of Rome as Pelagians. Are not saints the brightest mirrors of divine grace in which we see what the grace of God could do? Whenever we read or hear how they who were like us were able to so miraculously and mightily conquer sin, the world, and death, then we are soon moved to trust in such great mercy God has promised and exhibited in Christ. Their examples make us want to imitate them so that we pray to God for a similar faith and emulate the virtues of the saints as befits our own calling. Consequently, our faith in Christ is strengthened, our charity is set aflame, remember it's all about love, right? And our hope of eternal life is confirmed. We do not believe the saints are gone, but rather gone ahead to the age to come. Um, ah, he has so much more to say on it. I, you know, I'd love to read the whole section to you. And if you're one of these Latin scholars from Wittenberg Academy, the Latin's on the other side of the page. He has Latin on one side and English on the other. Now, one more man whom I wanted to share with you about thinking about the saints. This guy, he is a, he is a handful. Um, his name is Bertolt von Schenk. Um, you can't believe everything the guy says. He's an LCMS pastor, by the way, out in the New York area. Um, quite, quite a few years ago. Um, but man, did he nail this? Listen, the saint has only one motive. This motive is the love of Jesus guiding and dominating everything he does or says. It's not his life, but Christ's life. And this dynamic cannot fail. No wonder that the cross supplanted the Roman eagle. The saints are the people in whom Christ lived. They had the spirit of Christ. Now, this Christ spirit consists not merely in being kind and sweet and gentle. It's something greater. It is following Christ and doing what he did, breaking the body, shedding the blood. That is exactly what our saints did. They loved with the divine love. They rejoiced in their suffering, but they knew that their sufferings were filled up and were filling up what is behind in the tribulation of Christ that he did for his body, the church. These sufferings, as we have seen, are not those which he endured on Gethsemane and Calvary, but those which he endures in his saints through their mystical union with him. What men have done, men can do again. The world needs saints, men who will free themselves of self, who love with the divine love. Church leaders are looking for something to save a declining church. They start all sorts of campaigns and drives, calls of the cross. And while the church is deliberating, men's hearts are aching and are hungering for the supernatural, for saints, for glimpses of heaven, for romance. Conferences, synods, arguments, eloquence, committees, campaigns are merely stopping leaks in a weak dam. The world needs saints. It needs the mad vision of saints. 
which alone can keep us sane. The supernatural vision, which will turn the world, which is upside down, back to where God wants it. The saints are not mere figures in history. They speak today. They are part of the church, the mystical body of Christ. Certainly the body of Christ cannot be divided. Death cannot separate the members of the body of Christ, the church. The church on earth knows of no separation from the church beyond the grave. What is this bond of union? Why? The communion. At the altar, we link ourselves with the saints. Here we're caught up with them. The blessed sacrament is the link that binds our risen and ascended Lord and the whole company of heaven to us. Here at the altar, I get a glimpse of the saints. Here I am united with them. Here heaven is made real to me as my faith is nourished. And then he also says, it was really a stupid thing when some people tried to wipe out the saints from the memory and mind of the church. He's thinking about the way most Protestants just don't even bother to remember the the great heroes of old. He's like, that was really stupid because we really need the living concrete example of these sinful people like us in whom the grace of God triumphed. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. All right. I think I've talked long enough, but I would like to invite you guys to throw out any questions or comments that you have about why the church in her love remembers the saints of old. Can I throw it to you? I know I have a whole page of notes. So, so I could just start asking questions, but you know, I'd rather hear uh, from you guys. Okay, so apart from the fact that all Christians are saints, the term saint seems to be delegated from martyrdom. Do some people get sainted as others get knighted? That's a very interesting comment. Certainly in the early church, the most common way that a person was recognized as one of the saints was when they, they, they confessed Christ all the way to the grave, to the end. Or similarly, if they were a confessor, if they were hauled before the authorities, but their life didn't end there, but they still made a bold confession. The, the confessors and martyrs form the core of the church's early remembrance. It's like one of the earliest saints on any calendar is St. Lawrence. Um, and, you know, the, the church never forgot. I mean, in that that crazy love story of, of him being roasted, and it's like, you know, this side's done, flip me over. <laughs> you know? I mean, th- that kind of good humor filled the saints um, as, as they, they died and, and witnessed to Christ. But it definitely became um, a, a broader term to just see anyone in whom the grace of Christ especially shone forth in life. Um, I don't think St. Elizabeth of Thuringia was, uh, you know, she's not a martyr in the normal sense of the word. Uh, it's true. She lost her health and she, she ended up, uh, um, you know, dying a very early premature death. But w- what really marked her, and this is what von Schenk is trying to drive home to us, is she showed the love of Christ. It's like, oh, here's a beggar here who needs a bed. Here, take mine. <laughs> I mean, that's the way she lived. And that's what shines. And so, yes, it shines most clearly in the martyrs, um, but it certainly shines also in others. And gradually, over time, the church just keeps on stuffing her memory box with all of these uh, shining examples of the grace of Christ. 
Well, while you guys are, are pondering that, so Pastor Whedon, this week in, in particular, we have had just a slew of uh, remembrances, um, you know, this, this week in, in January. Um, what is, if, if our scholars, uh, perhaps uh, their families, um, it's, it's kind of not their practice to uh, commemorate the saints or, or, or certain feast days, um, outside of the ones that might land on, on a Sunday, um, what sort of encouragement might you give uh, a family who, who maybe wants to make this part of their family piety, right? Uh, remembering uh, the saints and uh, how would you recommend going about doing that? Well, of course, the Treasury has a, 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 a so Pray Now app or the Treasury of Daily Prayer um, for the LSB the Lutheran Service Book Calendar has uh, every single day marked with something. Um, I think it, it, it's a good rudimentary thing, but if you really want to get the story, I think you need something more like celebrating the saints to actually read through a little bit more ab about who this person was and set it in a bigger historical context. Um, and uh, above all, I think that the key is to to, re to remembering a person is that we remember them and then we thank God for them. Did you notice the prayer this morning for St. John Chrysostom? Thank God. But then it also asks that we have these preachers who will be able to preach God's word with this same sort of fervor, um, which St. John had in, in his life. You know what? I, sh I should mention one more thing. Um, LSB has got just, it's bigger than what we had before in um, our hymnal, um, bigger than what we had in the Lutheran hymnal. But the Lutheran church has always had um, this recognition of the bigger list. And so if you pull out some of Senate's yearbooks from the early part of the 20th century, you'll find all, like, like Wilhelm uh, Lea's Martyrology, um, which I think is online. You can look at that. And basically there's, there's like a saint for every day almost. And sometimes there's multiple saints on a single day. And uh, those saints that are commemorated and, and that shows how big the memory of the church really is. So even what we have in like celebrating the saints and treasury of daily prayer, that's, that's really tiny compared to that uh, bigger remembrance. And I, I know that uh, some of our uh, scholars are probably familiar with Pastor Heath Curtis's um, daily divine service book that that gets you there, or um, some versions of the Brotherhood Prayer Book will also have the fuller calendar that will help you commemorate all these other names. And as you remember them, uh, th there are specific propers that you would use, like if, if, if it was a virgin martyr. I mean, that's that's something to watch out for, right? I mean, there's. Um, it's a young woman. I mean, think about our young women today. And they stood up. They wouldn't give in. They stood up against the, uh, uh, the, the, the the emperor. And as a result, they gave their life. But the church has never forgotten. Wow. Don't forget that little St. Lucy on December 13th. She's, she's an amazing person, you know? Oh, and by the way, St. Lucy, you, you, you got to get that with, with, with what C.S. Lewis does in the Chronicles, right? I mean, you see that. There's a reason he named her Lucy. Yeah, so how come some saints days get church services, but others don't? Excellent question. The, the difference in Lutheran service book is if it is a festival of Christ or of one of the apostles, it gets its 
it has propers. So it, it, it can be celebrated as a church service. Then we have a whole pile of things that are merely commemorations, which is a way to remember and thank God for the saint. But at most, you'd include, <coughs> excuse me, you'd include the uh, collect maybe after the collect of the day to commemorate that saint or include them in the prayer of the church where you give thanks to God for the, the departed saints. But it's the difference between commemorations and feasts or festivals. And it usually has to do with, with the time. Um, it's, it's the ones that are clustered around the life of Christ that get the liturgical celebrations. He says, is it worthwhile to remember the Christian saints in our family that have passed before us on a certain day? Because of the way that uh, Martin Luther experienced uh, was maybe a little bit much of this, um, he was not a big fan of that idea. But I think as time has gone on, we've recognized, you know, it's really kind of important to remember those that we love who have entered into eternal life. I think we do it, whether we, uh, you know, <laughs> no, no matter what Luther might have thought, it's become, become a custom. So if, if you look in Lutheran service book agenda, for example, you can find out uh, there's a service that actually is used on the anniversary of, of a death. So you can actually have a church service remembering your saint, your, you know, the person that, that you knew and loved who has not now gone home to the Lord. Um, it's it's a actually beautiful liturgy. How come the Orthodox and Catholics celebrate different saints than we do? Oh, um, the, because the communion split as time went on. I mean, there, there's a whole pile that we celebrate in common together. Um, so basically you're looking at history there. Anything that starts after the Reformation, that's, you know, that would be peculiar to a Lutheran commemoration. Um, same with, with Rome. I mean, we don't celebrate uh, Bellarmine because that was post-Reformation. That was in a different, you know, the churches had split at that point. So uh, th the ones we share in common, though, are, are all those early guys, Athanasius, um, Cyril, um, Augustine. John Chrysostom, all the Cappadocians, uh, and these are common to both Orthodox and Roman Catholics. And then with the Roman Catholics, we share the medieval ones of the West, like uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. The Orthodox don't commemorate him, um, but, uh, but we do with the Roman Catholics. Uh, same with uh, St. Elizabeth of Thuringia. Um, so it's just an accident of history as time has marched on. But all the churches do practice this form of commemoration. I mean, all, I should say all the liturgical churches practice this form of commemoration. What are your thoughts on hanging icons of saints on the wall like the Orthodox do? Great question. Great question. And actually, Lutherans continue to use images of saints in their, their worship. One of the more, more uh, interesting moments that happened in, in the uh, 17th century is the, the elector of Brandenburg, um, Joachim, decides that he's actually become a Calvinist, but he's got this really hyper-Lutheran population, what to do. So he's got a whole list of the things that he says have to go. Um, among them are any images of the saints, any crucifix, I mean, it has to go. Stone altar has to be ripped up. Um, baptismal font has to be has to go. You replace it with just a simple bowl. Um, and, and he goes down the line basically gutting 
the, the, the you know proposing to gut the, the, the churches and the Lutheran population just did not go for it and basically forced him back. It, it's it's a really great history, and it shows you though what Lutherans actually were doing in Brandenburg in the 1700s. You can read it as a photographic negative of what Lutheran worship was like. And so, yeah, there, there, there are not only images of Christ, but there are images of the saints as well. What do you think of the royal family, Russia? I know there's an icon for them. Yeah, no, the, it's actually fascinating. My, my niece is married to a Russian Orthodox priest. And uh, at their wedding at the Russian cathedral in, in uh, Washington, D.C., um, the Romanov relics were present, you know, for us to venerate. And of course, as Lutherans, we didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there, there's a lot to say about the steadfastness with which the, uh, the, the royal family there did, did, did maintain the Christian faith. Um, I'm not sure that's the real reason they were they were martyred. It wasn't the I should say it was the only reason they were martyred, um, but it was certainly the case that they they were all confessing Christians. And so, you know, as a Lutheran, I look at that and say, Tsar Nicholas and and and, and Alexander, the, the, these are these are our peeps. It, the, these are the ones who are blood bought by Christ, and uh, they paid with their lives for uh for being christian i think that's really what what we can say they they died for um for for belonging to jesus at a time when the 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 atheists were determined to wipe out the bay how do we determine which saint we remember on which day for example how do we know to remember saint john chrysostom today that is a, a good question it's there's not one rule and so there's all kinds of things that happen across time. Um, the easiest ones are the ones that they're commemorated on the day they die, their heavenly birthday. Um, that, that makes it easy. But the church's calendar is such that, like St. Augustine is commemorated on the day he died, but then the church wasn't happy with having his mother Monica on the day she died. They wanted to put her with Augustine. So they actually moved her to be beside Augustine. Um, similarly, St. Gregory the Great is actually commemorated on the day he was installed as Pope of Rome, rather than on the day of his death. So across history, there's all kinds of accidents. And you have, oh, you also have ones where, uh, I think this is true for Chrysostom, right? Where they move the relics. Um, you know, the remains of the saints are, are if you reinter them on a certain day, that becomes the day where they're commemorated. Um, so there's all kinds of, of reasons that run behind it. And there just is not one overarching one, except that the majority are commemorated on the day they died. Will the church add saints as time progresses like the Roman Catholic Church has? She always has. So I think that it's going to be something we're, we'll see. If you look at the LSB calendar, there are post-Reformation people on there. I mean, C.F.W. Walter, I, I always say he's the reason we don't have Lutheran icons. Um, C.F.W. Walter is, is certainly commemorated. Leia's commemorated. Uh, so there, there are, uh, you know, church fathers that are remembered after um, the time of the Reformation. But certainly the majority um, are those who are older. Do you know what what is the process? So, for example, when CFW Walther was added uh, to the list, what is the process for 
uh, such a thing? Somebody simply said, as they were preparing a hymnal, they said, this is a life that needs to be remembered and celebrated and that we thank God for, um, because this, this life bore witness to the love of Christ. And so the, the name, you know, he persuades the committee, which then sends it to the Senate. I mean, when he first showed up on the list, um, I, I, I think they accepted uh, that was in the uh, Lutheran worship in, in uh, 1982. I, I'm not sure it was actually ever voted on or anything like that, but it, it, you know, it made it into the book. And from that point on, it's just sort of been there. Uh, people just recognize this is a lot. And that's really how it happened in the early church. I mean, if somebody died in your area confessing Christ, the people in that area kept the memory of that person alive. That's how come we know about St. Lucy of Sicily. It's because the Sicilians remember, you know what? This little girl needs to be commemorated in our, in, in our lives, that we remember that uh, it is better to, to confess Christ and die than to deny him and live. You know, one of the one of the things that amazes me is that those first two Lutheran martyrs are not in our calendar. Um, I, 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 I find that really to be un, unthinkable. Um, but uh, the, the young boys killed in Brussels are not on the calendar. That, that sounds like an overture for the next convention to me. <laughs> I like it. I, I think part I've heard I've heard Christians say I have a brother pastor who said the reason why is because they were killed by fellow by fellow Christians, fellow baptized. And so instead of, you know, uh, wash, you know, washing our dirty laundry in public, we just let that one go. I, I, I don't like it. <laughs> we certainly have a lot to chew on as we consider the way we consider the saints and the way we remember them. I, I would hope that we all can carry forward, especially the idea that they are witnesses to the love of God in Christ, that that's where their holiness came from, and that the way we want to remember them is that they are those who are remembered and loved by the Father. Pastor Whedon, thank you so much uh, for your thoughts, for your insights, uh, for sharing with us today, and uh, thank you so much for all the things you gave us to ponder. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ms. Besson. It's a joy to be with you guys, and I pray that... Uh, You'll be blessed the rest of the Lutheran Schools Week. I know you got a really great guy coming up tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.